welcome to the Intuitive Insights podcast series. I'm Nina Lockwood, founder and director of Intuitive Interim and Executive Search. Throughout this series, I will be sharing engaging conversations with talented leaders from across the UK transport sector. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of the Intuitive Insights podcast. I have wanted to have this particular conversation since I very first started the podcast back in 2020, and it seems that all I needed to do was ask. There's a lesson in there somewhere. I am delighted to welcome Andrew Haynes, Chief Executive of Network Rail and the Great British Railways Transition Team Lead to the Intuitive Insights podcast. I really do hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Andrew Haynes, good morning and welcome to the Intuitive Insights podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. It's lovely to be with you, Nina. And uh, and, and I, I'm generally looking forward to the conversation as well. I've, I've listened to bits of some of the others and I think you've, you know, you've got a brilliant knack of drawing out the, the real person. So it's Perfect. And that is, it is some of the feedback that we've had over the, um, gosh, 30 odd episodes that we've done is that people really enjoy seeing the individual behind the job title. It's so easy, isn't it, to just kind of write Andrew Haynes. So to give you your full title, Chief Executive at Network Rail and Great British Railways Transition Team Lead. I'm assuming you don't try and fit that on a name badge because that's quite a long, a long. Time. No, I got yeah, I've got various name badges now, but that yeah. <laughs> so we we like to see the person yeah. behind the job title. That's what these um, these conversations are all about. So without further ado, I'm going to um, I'm going to hand over to you because people definitely don't want to listen to me waffling on. We're interested to hear your story. Okay. So why transport, right? Why okay. the rail industry in the first instance? Talk me through right from the beginning, Andrew, please. Where have you been? What you've done? And um, who's been significant to you on that journey in okay. terms of, of where your learnings come from? Um, right up to present day, what's it like being the chief exec of Network? Oh, Lord. Well, that, that's about three hours worth in itself, isn't it, when you're <laughs> as old as I am these days? So, well... If I start right at the outset, I fell into transport. I'm I'm not a I'm not a train enthusiast. I'm not a railway enthusiast. I'm an architecture enthusiast. I'm obsessed with architecture. Uh, but I, uh, you know, I come from a very very working class background. So my parents have my my, my needlework all level. I think my father left school before you know before that stage. So so no some academic background from family and no expectation really. That I would do anything particular, particularly, but I, but I came to university in London, and uh, uh, for the first year I lived right within about five hundred yards of Victoria Station. Right, um, and uh, I was really intrigued by the logistics of transport, but also the people side, both the people you saw working there, yeah, you know, but also just that human interaction and the purpose. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. When I left university, but I knew I wanted to do something quite purposeful. I come from, you know, I have quite a strong sort of uh, personal faith, uh, and uh, I've always believed that, you know, you, you have your life for a purpose. Uh, and um, I didn't want to just fall into the slipstream of doing something for the sake of it. Uh, and I was going to do a PhD in architectural history. I'm not sure what the purpose of that would be. No. And if I, I, in those days, you could get a grant, and the grant landed on the doorstep simultaneously with an offer of a job with uh, with British Rail. Um, and uh, I wasn't really sure what I was what to do about that. Yeah. But I um, 
I took a holiday job in uh, Victoria Station uh, and did that for three months. And then I really bit the bullet. So I joined the graduate management scheme uh, within uh, BR. Right. Brilliant, brilliant scheme, particularly at that time, because it allowed you to do lots of different things. There were jobs called traffic managers, which meant effectively you were a station manager, but you were also what in these days we'd call a local ops manager right. and a mobile ops manager. So you did instant response, you looked after signals, but you also had the retail inside. Meant you weren't actually brilliant at any of them, but they were fabulous, good grounded jobs because you got a whole industry perspective. Mm, yeah. So when I talk passionately about track and train, it's because I've had the benefit, you know, albeit in early years of my career, of seeing and how an integrated railway works. Yeah. And I went on, so I did that for ooh, uh, three or four years after um, after the management training scheme. Uh, and I saw there was a job in enterprise to work in Parliament, working for a chap called Chris Austin, who was the who ran the Parliamentary Affairs team, and they were building up their capability from one person to two people. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Double in the, the work. The channel tunnel works and okay. the preparation for that. So uh, uh, Chris employed me to set up an office in, in Parliament, uh, just across the road from Parliament, and to work there. And I loved that because I love I like politics, I like current affairs. And to blend the railway and, you know, and politics together was amazing. I was there the day that Margaret Thatcher resigned. Uh, you know, I met lots of different journalists. It was really interesting because it gave me brilliant insight into how the media and how political media works. It gave me really good exposure to senior people. In those days, you know, the chairman of British Rail was God. I met both the Bob Reeds and Sir Robert Reed, the first of those. When my boss was... Um, on holiday, I would brief him directly. And I used to joke, I was more junior than the chauffeur. <laughs> it was probably the only job I probably job he had that sort of encounter. Yeah. Uh, and it like it gave me brilliant access at the early stage to people who were inspirational, mm. who I saw took big, big decisions. It meant that I had a seat around the table in political conversations early on. And I did various things, work from that, work for a guy called John Palmer, who'd come from being the number two in the Department for Transport, but came to work with BR initially to set up the Channel Tunnel Programme, yeah. but also then led the privatisation programme because in 1992, John Major was elected uh, as Prime Minister and decided to have a go at rail privatisation. Margaret Thatcher not, got, not touched it in her period, yeah. but he decided to have a go at that. And so with through John, I ended up working in the privatisation policy unit, and it's this amazing symmetry of my career that when I was in my uh, well, mid to late 20s, I was involved in a very junior level in the privatisation and the setting up of all these new structures. Mm. And now, you know, uh, 30 years on, uh, I'm involved now in restructuring that. And it is an interesting point that, you know, that there are, the structures haven't really moved on in those 30 years. Right. Uh, I went to work for Rail Track at privatisation. Uh, worked with a guy called Chris Jago, who was very good, very, very supportive of me. We weren't natural, I suppose we weren't natural bedfellows, but I saw in him a good leader, a good disciplines, and he was sought me some, some talent, and so he, he promoted me a couple of times. And then I got headhunted to work by, for stagecoach. Yeah. Um, and Southwest Trains. Uh, by a chap called Graham Eccles, and who was a long-standing railway person. Many, many people know Graham, a bit of a legend. You know, started off as a porter, a junior porter, and ended up, you know, uh, as a you know 
as very one of the very senior figures. He'd been on the he's on the board of Network Rail, ran Stagecoach's portfolio on the board of Stagecoach for, for a long time. Mm. And I think I think I'd only re- really encountered um, Graham when we'd been negotiating our co- contracts in in rail track. And I, if you like, we had quite a robust relationship. You know, it was a strong commercial thing. I was, you know, I was the young kid who was trying to, you know, make a name for these things. But I think we respected each other and Graham saw something in me, don't know what. So he got, he got me to come and work in, um, uh, in South Coast Trains. Uh, and I was there about barely 18 months and I got promotion to operations director. And he said, look, one day you're going to be managing director of South Coast Trains. And I just thought those are easy words to say. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but within 18 months, there was some upheaval, let's just say, in Stagecoach. Um, I often talk about this because it's an accident of th- something entirely out of my control. Yeah. Uh, there was an upheaval, and which meant that Graham rapidly got promoted. And the Stagecoach way is they trust people. If you've done a good job for them, if you've, you know, if you've busted get, you've delivered, and your values are similar, then they don't go out to re- the market to recruit. I know that's not great news for headhunters, but, you know, but they say, <laughs> look, you know, we trust people. We're going to give you a go. And so they gave me a go, and I became MD of Southwest Trains. Uh, I was I've just my my thirty sixth birthday. I was the youngest MD, I think, of what was then the largest train company. Uh, loved it. Still the best job I've ever had because it was a time when you could do things. Um, did that for four and a half, five years. We turned it around from being really a struggling company to one that won national pass. You know, won the, the national rail awards across the board, all the different categories. I mean, in terms of you know. The Rail Business Award, the National um, National Rail Awards, all of them in 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 the ERLF. But I went to work for First Group to run a portfolio, First Group's rail division, yeah. because it was diverse, and I knew that First Group were a very different company. And I did that for three and a half years. Fair to say, it wasn't the happiest time of my life. Um, I think my values were less well aligned, uh, and uh, and I decided quite uh, really quite. Over a period of time, after about three and a half, I just decided to it wasn't the place for me and to step away. Uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. I had no guarantee of a job. Um, but fortunately, first group assumed that I was um I'd been headhunted. So they put me on six months gardening leave, which was very right. good. Right. It meant I was paid to stay at home and find another job. Yeah. And of course, all my career up until that point had been the railway. So I, you know, I thought, well. I didn't know. I, I slightly mishandled the, how I communicated my departure. So there was a little bit of, you know, silliness about gossip and things like that, which I had to put right. Uh, but I felt I knew it was the right thing to do for my mental health and for my own reputation. Uh, and um, I was very fortunate. I actually got offered four different jobs in that period. And the one that really ultimately attracted me to was to work in civil aviation. So I ran the Civil Aviation Authority. Yeah. Really interesting. Within six months, got the AF Wheeler Yurkel Volcano. So yes. go straight away into that. Got into <laughs> yeah. work, had to work on new legislation, work on then on the rough, really big safety incidents internationally and nationally. Um, worked with a brilliant chair, Dame Deidre Hutton, who is, remains a good friend and another person who's been an inspiration to me, somebody of real integrity, yeah. somebody who really believes, again, in purpose-driven uh, leadership. Um, and I did that for nearly nine years, and uh, I stayed on because of the 
because of Brexit uh, emerging and for the runway at Heathrow. Uh, but I knew it was time to leave at the end of a fixed period. And just as I was coming to an end, I was approached by Sir Peter Hendy, who I knew vaguely. We'd maybe met two or three times in the previous 20 years, but didn't know much more than that. Who'd been told that I was somebody to think about as Mark Arn's successor. Um, and uh, look, it wasn't part of my plan. I was going to do it out and have a portfolio career, uh, but it was, uh, Peter can be quite persuasive, as you might know <laughs> if you've met him. Uh, and uh, I did a lot of due diligence, spoke to lots and lots of people. Uh, uh, but I, I decided to pitch for the job and I was I was appointed well, almost five years ago now. Yeah. Uh, and Peter's been brilliant to work with. I mean, you know, he is an absolute legend. He, I know very few people who have Peter's, Strategic thinking, energy, commitment to people, uh, real focus on detail simultaneously, and yet still a human being. Yeah. So, yeah. In terms of people who've influenced me, I would say Chris Jago, Graham Eccles, John Palmer, Deidre Hatton, Peter Handy. You know, I've had the real privilege to work alongside different ways. And I would say Chris Austin, who's a very, very different person to those others, very quiet. Mm but actually probably half a dozen people who've been really sh have shaped my um, shaped my career. And of course, when you give so much to your career, shaped my life as well. Yeah. One of the things that's emerging as a theme here, Andrew, as you as you kind of taken us through your story and with those people that you've mentioned, there's there's things that I've kind of scribbled down on my pad, which are yeah. um, he saw something in me. I yeah. don't know what. So. Peter, Sir Peter Hendy had been told you were someone to think about. Yeah. Um, there's another comment around um, it's kind of what, what he saw some talent in me. So yeah. I think this was uh, John Palmer yeah. saw some talent in yeah. me. So I'm going to put you on the spot and I do this quite often. So I'm not just picking on you, but what what did they see in you? Just kind of putting that that humility to yeah. one side and say, what yeah. what did they see in you? It was very early in your career. Yeah. So it's kind of, you know, you're not where you are now in terms of us being able to give a long list of, yeah, these are the things that, these are our yeah. strengths. What have those individuals seen in you early doors? Um, well, I think the first thing I would say, look, for me, the humility is not a sort of, it's not an affectation. I've, it's, no, I know. I think it's very genuine because, you know, you know, in, 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 you know, in the universal context, you know, you're tiny, the, the chief executive of Network Rail is a nothing in the context. Of yeah. what happens in the in, in the world, I think. Um, look, I I'm very proud of my working class roots. It means I don't have, I've never needed airs and graces, but also it means I've never felt I've had to prove anything. So if I do something, it's because I believe in it and I'm committed to it. I don't do it for the sake of ticking somebody else's box. Mm -hmm. um, I have a very strong work ethic. I think because of my background i've got a, a decent eq as well as a reasonable iq yeah uh, and so i think uh, funny enough i was listening to a, a podcast this morning the uh, you know the, uh, the leading one with alistair campbell and the, you know tony blair was on it talking about the northern island peace post and he said look if you're going to be a, le a leader he said he was talking politically he said you have to be able to feel things as well as think things wow, and he was that. it was interesting to say that and i think you know i think i'm able to feel things as well as think things yeah um, I would say that, and look, and I've had a lot of luck. I think the thing I've learned a lot 
if you're busy leaders, uh, you need shortcuts. Mm. And so I always say to people when I give them advice, be humble, but be hardworking. Yeah. So if you're, if you're, there is an element of convenience for people. If you work with somebody who can get things done for you, mm. why do you to look away from them to look for somebody else? Yeah. So I do think a lot of it is a bit, but, and again, I didn't make, it wasn't that I made strategic career choices. I did jobs I knew I'd be interested in and that I could commit wholeheartedly to. They then allow you to thrive. And if yeah. people see you thriving, they say, well, okay, this person's getting, this person's getting results. So I think that's how I would surmise yeah. it. But of course, you yeah. might want to ask them. Yeah. No, that's, I think that's a really good explanation. And yeah. I think that kind of nowheres and graces. Yeah. And that, um, I think, from my perspective, and certainly from what other people say to me, is that you're very approachable. And I think that that's kind of part of mm. that that human bit as well. And, you know, you, you talked right at the beginning of, um, of your career where you had access to these really senior people yeah. who at the time were not accessible, were they? It's not no, like it is now. Absolutely. We wouldn't be able to, you know, and I imagine that we wouldn't be calling you Andrew. It would be Mr. Haynes. You know, yeah. it's kind of yeah. going back in the day. So things are very, very different now absolutely. in relation to, to that, um, you know, everybody being a human being yeah. within a system that we work in and having another word that you used as well earlier, having the respect yeah. because you've earned that respect because you've delivered because you yeah. were trusted to deliver. Absolutely. And this is something which has come out from so many of these conversations with your colleagues who've also been in the rail industry yeah. for a very long time. So people like Chris Green, people like yeah. Mark Hotwood, who've said to me they were they were trusted to get on with it. Yeah. So this feat this seems to well, be. Well, I was one of the ones who freedom. trusted Mark Hotwood. Yeah. You know, I appointed Mark. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, for that person, yeah, in, in a really difficult circumstance. You know? yeah. yeah. So so what how's that changed? You know, in terms of that freedom to get things done. Mm. Um, it, it doesn't feel like we have quite so much wriggle room these days to trust people to get on with it. Yeah. Well, I, th look, I, think, I, th I think that's a really astute uh, observation. I think the first thing to say is that we mustn't use that narrative too much in the industry. When I, um, so, I, you know, so I'd been out to the industry for close to 10 years and I came back and I was in a, in a meeting with a very, very senior group of people, senior leaders, some of the most senior people in in um uh, in the industry and i did need to say to them i said look you sound like a bunch of overpaid victims right you're very good at say and i i didn't I, that sounds as if i was doing it a hectare i wasn't i was i said it compassionately mm. but i said look come on guys and it was largely guys yeah that's you'd be, be no surprise be. to you yeah uh you know we're we're spending our time moaning about what's what's wrong there's still a huge opportunity uh, to embrace but I think it is definitely more uh, there's definitely less flexibility I think people are more hesitant partly because of uh, your your sense of accountability now is very very different I mean you instantly you were talking we've did, we've recently I've recently had some very very rough, robust exchanges with a with an apprentice who shows none of the respect that we would historically none of that deference yeah now I'm not actually, in this case, I'm, I think he actually gone a little bit too far. But the point is, today's generation expect a degree of directness. Yeah. And they're also, uh, um, they expect to have their, their rights and their identities respected. Yeah. And I think that, for a start, can make people more hesitant in discourse. Then, of course, alongside that, you've got the state of the industry at the moment and the level of direct 
government intervention, which mm. I think everybody, including our Secretary of State, says is an act of madness. Yes. And certainly we are seeing more direct government control of our industry now than ever in my lifetime and probably in the history of the Royal Way. Yeah. And that, that mustn't continue. And I don't want to get into the politics around that. But I think it's hard for people to feel that sense of hope yeah. when they're, if they're feeling crushed. And yet at the same time, I think senior leaders feel nervous about not saying the right thing or saying the wrong thing unintentionally or saying something which could be misinterpreted. And I think this the, the, the dialogue at the moment doesn't feel as transparent for those reasons. Really. Yeah, yeah. But and it's all fixable. Yes, and we and and maybe when I get my magic wand out in a few minutes, yeah. um, we might kind of uh, be able to focus in on the areas yeah. that that you would like to fix yeah. and that yeah. you would see changing. Um, but I I do think that the one of the observations I have looking into and being part of the industry is that the skill of leadership is changing and has changed quite significantly. So there are lots of situations that I think you find yourself in as a leader, as a very senior leader, which you may not have have had the training for at the beginning. Um, And and any number of excellent graduate schemes, however many years ago, would not necessarily have given you the tools. And I think you make a really good point about the emotional intelligence being as important as the actual intelligence, if you like, the EQ and the IQ. Um, And I love, I absolutely love that quote, and I'm going to use that ad infinitum, the feel things as well as think things. I think that is, this is amazing. So I think leadership is changing, and and my observation is that people do need um, more support in terms of how to do that, in in how to lead. Oh, definitely. It's much, much tougher, much tougher. Yeah. When I think about how... You know, I I might have dealt with things, uh, you know, when I was a junior or middle manager, a lot of those ways are not available to people now, you know, I, either because of the legislation has changed or indeed because people would misinterpret your motives and you would feel vulnerable. Yeah. You know, there's a different type of risk appetite. Uh, and I say that because I don't think I ever treated people badly in that context. Mm. I'm not. I'm more than happy to have people sort of challenge me on, you know, on my behaviours. But but it is not. It, we have to respect the fact that today's generation have different needs. You know, I have children of my own. I see mental health profiles of young yeah. of young people. I know colleagues. Phenomenal number of my colleagues have children who who have had to deal with really challenging mental health issues yeah. and I went back to my, my university King's College London for a dinner probably six seven weeks back and they just said you know it's the, they spend a huge amount of their time my wife has just become governor again at a local school mm. three full-time people in a in a primary school dealing with pastoral care yeah uh, it's it's, like we, can't, we can't deny that if we as no. if we as leaders somehow think oh, you know, that's not a live issue. If we use the snowflake language and just say, suggest that somehow, you know, that not only is it deeply disrespectful of people, it will harm our businesses. We have to reflect the fact that the people we're dealing with have grown up in a different context. They have yeah. different needs, different expectations, and we have to nurture them. Yeah. Uh, and we have to, we, like context. you said, we have to do that differently, don't we? Because we've yeah. got, as well as having that aging workforce that 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 we're kind of well versed in in terms of yes. the rail industry, there was um, some stats shared at the Women in Rail conference in March that less than three percent 
of our workforce within the UK rail industry is 25 years or younger. So not only are people falling off the scale at the other end, at the kind of getting ready for retirement, eligible for retirement, but don't want to go just yet, but it's imminent. We've also got a huge issue in terms of, well, where does the succession plan come yeah, from? Absolutely. Because we're not sticking enough people in at the other end of the funnel. Absolutely. Um, so we're, we're digressing because there's so much yeah. that I could yeah. ask you about and want to talk to you about. But just kind of in terms of that career story, Andrew, yeah. before we move on to um, me getting you, giving you the three wishes for what yeah. you'd change. Just tell us what a week in the life of the chief exec of Network Rail looks like. What does what do you actually do day in, day out? Wow. Well, look, I mean, uh, one of the things I love about uh, this job and, and the senior jobs I've done is the sheer variety. Yeah. Um, so, so, so let, well, why don't we just take today, right? If I just literally yeah. tell you what I've been, what I've been doing today. Yeah. I'll get, just get my diary out so I can remember. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I, first of all, I, I try and go to the gym in the mornings. So yeah. I get up really early. So I left home at quarter past five to be in London, to be, to be in the gym. But that really gets my sort of adrenaline going. I had a meeting with a, a whole range of different t- people then before this on footbridges. And I know it sounds really odd, but one of my passions is we if we're going to make a better, uh, make the road much more accessible for people, we've got to get the way we deliver footbridge schemes down much more, yes. down much more affordable, much more quickly. So bringing very diverse people to sponsor that. We're doing this now. An hour after that, I've got a meeting with the Permanent Secretary and the Director General at the Treasury on rail reform and how we can unlock some of that. Uh, at the end of that, apparently, I've got delayed birthday cake. It was my birthday two weeks ago, but I've not been in the office with the team. Yeah. And then, supply, and then um, uh, doing a uh, video for uh, a national supply conference. So uh, for that... I've then got a meeting with um, some non-executives of some of our supply chain. Uh, I've then got a meeting about, with Andy Lord from TFL on yeah. operational preparedness um, for the next phase of the Elizabeth Line. Um, I'm then going to a, my son's wedding suit fitting, right. and then I've got and then I've got dinner with Bernadette Kelly, the perm set. That's that's today. Good love. Uh, Yesterday, I was out and about, you know, tomorrow I'm on my way to Scotland. So it's hugely varied. Yeah. I love the fact I can be doing, you know, operational stuff. I can be talking to people, be talking about high, high politics, you know, yeah. all of it. It's it's very, very diverse. The, the variety of that yeah. and, and also yeah. the level of it, Andrew, you know, the kind of um, you're just you're, you're kind of meeting with, obviously, as a senior person yourself, yeah. you're meeting with other senior people, having these conversations and kind of being real part of the change and transformation that needs to take place, not just in the rail industry. This is kind of bigger than that, isn't it? One of the things that um, I know I asked you about when we were together in January yeah. was this kind of you, you mentioned that you were you were going to the gym. Yeah. And this really struck me and it's come back to me several time since because I said to you oh yes you you know that'll give you time to think about your day and you were like no 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 no, no. I don't think about my day that is my time so that real ring fenced well-being mental health time that gets you ready to be able to do a day like that five six I would imagine sometimes seven days a week yeah oh absolutely yes as I said we were talking about the bank holiday I worked in the bank holiday uh yesterday I I, I was to do so much work I'll be in London for the coronation, just, you know, just in, you know, 
uh, hoping nothing goes wrong, but being yes. there supporting teams. Yes, yes. You know, watching it all go right, Andrew. That's yeah, what absolutely. Doing next really week, standing <laughs> shoulder to shoulder with front line, and you know, yeah. and those sort of exciting national moments. Yeah. But where the railway plays a, a real role, and, and yeah. I suppose one of the things I have done recently, though, is I, I've so I do listen to podcasts in the gym, not about work per se, but what I find, of course, is that if you are stimulated intellectually, yes. a bit like the Tony Blair thing I was talking about earlier on, yeah. There's a read through to work. So I don't feel it, it doesn't have to be a sort of concrete divide, but it's stuff I do for myself. Yes. It's not for, it's not for network rail and I don't do it for my role in network rail. I do it because I'm an inquiry and inquisitive. I'm a nosy parker, basically. Yes. You know? Yeah. And that's why I love them. You know, yeah. I, I, I love the first one that I started listening to. Um, more often is yeah. the high performance podcast yeah. and I resisted it for ages because my husband started listening to it and every t- person he said to me that he'd listened to and enjoyed was a sports person right and I'm not you know I'm not yeah. really bothered about football no. or whatever, whatever. Yeah. these are not people that wouldn't would naturally interest me enough yeah. to say right I'll get me a pods in and I'll and I'll yeah. go and listen but actually when I got over myself and I tuned in then that ability, the leadership for a start, there's a cracking episode with Toto Wolf um, wow. from um, in terms of Formula One. Yeah. And his leadership yeah. of, of a very high performing team. Absolutely. It's fantastic to listen to, you know. So that that food, food for food for thought, food for your yeah. brain and the inspiration, Absolutely. it makes yeah. a difference. Yeah. Yeah. So um let's talk and, about and people who disagree with you as well. That's why I quite like. Yes. You know, I, I like the rest is politics, not because I always agree with everything they say, but they talk their principle is, you know, constructive disagreement effectively, yeah. that they can come from different perspectives, but have an, a good, con- honest, challenging debate. Exactly. Yeah. That That's really important, isn't yeah. it, in terms of that diversity yeah. of thought? Because I would imagine the, the higher up you go, not not looking at you necessarily, yeah. but, but any senior leader, um, I would imagine that that disagreement with your point of view becomes less over time because people will want to agree with you for for obvious reasons. Yeah. So having people who can challenge, but challenging that in, in a robust way, which is a is another yeah. word that, that you've used a few times, and I absolutely definitely yeah. agree with that, but challenge with respect from yeah. both parties so, no, that no. We, so that we can disagree, but but we do it in the right way. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not a huge fan of social media for 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 a variety of reasons. But one of the things I do see is that social media does give a voice. Yeah. It, you know, within the organization we use Yammer, and it, it's not used as widely as I'd like, but it, you do have people who are prepared to dissent on Yammer with company policy mm. with views. And yes. sometimes they're 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 frankly they're just wrong. Mm. Sometimes they're a bit offensive. But yeah. what they do do is they remind you that not everybody sees the world the way that you see it. Yes. And very often they are very good uh, insights to, to share. You yeah. know? So yeah. there is that tool, there is the democratization that comes with social media, which in the right context can be a useful um, prick to the bubble of the chief executive. Yes, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah. 
I am mindful of our time because yeah. we have got a hard stop. So I'm, have, yeah. you, I'm going to quickly get my magic wand out and wave okay. it and say to you, Andrew, I'm giving you three wishes for things that you could change. I'm going to encourage you to take, take the limits off and okay. kind of there will be lots of things you want to do, but your mind immediately might go to, but we can't do that for this, this and this reason. But if you if we could only focus on three things to affect the kind of change that you would like to see in the industry, what would those three things be? In the, in the industry, all right. When, when you said it at the beginning, maybe you're thinking about the world, so it's industry. Okay. Right. So well, industry, I would say, like first and foremost, uh, track and train PL. What do I mean by that? I mean that we look at whole system decision decision making. Yeah. So we take the right decisions for the system as a whole. Uh, there's loads of brilliant stuff came out to the privatization that happened and the structure restructuring 30 years ago, but it was never designed to accommodate growth. It was designed, it, it was being designed at the low point of yeah. passenger usage. And I think getting track and train together in whole system decision making is by far the biggest step. Right. I would say, secondly, um, re- industrial relations drags us back. I think what I find really, really hard in my job, particularly during last year with the industrial action and the strikes, was historically a lot of frontline workers in the railway simply do not believe the management and leadership. They default to believe in yeah. the trade union. Now, I'm not asking them to not believe the trade union. Yeah. But I would, you know, if I had a magic wand, it would be that people stop and think about the issue and listen. I think what we see too often is people are binary. They vote, you know, uh, the union look after me, therefore I'll go for them, or management can't be trusted. And I think that's done immense harm to individuals and to the industry. Mm-hmm. And it has meant that the dialogue we have then with trade unions, and I was a trade unionist myself for 25 years. You know, I was a member of a trade union for two and a half decades. Uh, so I'm not saying they're not a good thing, but the dialogue needs to be an honest, open dialogue where people listen. So I would yeah. absolutely yeah. Uh, change that. And then the third thing I would take, uh, you can't take the politics out of the railway because we're so heavily subsidised. Yeah. But the level of micromanagement that's currently going on, which nobody ever intended, mm. is doing it will do long-term harm. And I think the Secretary of State has acknowledged that in his Bradshaw address. But we've got to find our way out to that. Those are the because we've got some fabulous people with fabulous ideas. We've got creativity. Yes, we're we're short on a younger generation, but there are some amazing people, genuinely awesome people. Where I go around and just absolutely, I think if I was a boy, what what, my mother, if I was a fraction of how good they were, Mm -hmm. how good if I was as good as they are currently, you know, just amazing. So, but we've got to give them the space to lead. And, and be creative. So, yeah, mm. track and train together, yeah. industrial relations on a, on a genuine, engaged, open listening, and then uh, taking taking officials and ministers well away from the railway, yeah. and then holding the railway to account to deliver. Not you know not a, not letting us leave us to our own devices, but setting very clear parameters of what's important, and then expecting us to deliver against them. And that's yeah. facing the consequences if we don't. We're, we're grown up, you know. Of course, yeah. Nobody wants a cushy life. We just want a life where actually you can, you're able to deliver. Yeah, it feels like, and I was amazed, you know, where I've been in the, working with the rail industry for just over 10 years. I had no idea before I came in the amount of 
influence and impact that the politicians have on this industry. I had not a clue. So I'm going to assume that the vast majority of the the public and certainly the travelling public will have no idea the amount of... um, I can use this word, but because I'm I'm not involved with it directly, but interference that the government um that, that the government yeah. have in terms of how we run the railway is significant, isn't it? Yeah, well well partly of course because so much money. I mean, if you look at how much yeah. money went in to keep the railway open during COVID and how much money is being spent now, it's it's billions and billions of pounds. So yeah. you'd expect government to be interested and you'd expect government to call the big shots. Yes. It's the detailed operational decisions. The detailed commercial decisions, which is profoundly wrong. Yeah. It's not good business. It's not good policy or good politics. Mm. And it doesn't lead to the best outcome. And we've slid into it unintentionally. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I think that I think you've used your three wishes wisely there, oh, okay. Andrew. I think um <laughs> I think there are some some headlines there that everyone tuning into this podcast will deeply understand and agree with. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna chuck another one in just very yeah. quickly because you've mentioned this this magic word for me, yeah. people, several yeah. times as Absolutely. we've gone through. Acknowledge yeah. that we've got some genuinely amazing people in yes. this industry sector. We've talked about aging workforce and not enough people yeah. coming in at the other end. We've got a skills issue that's going on um, in terms of will have we got the right, have we got enough of the skills and have we got the right skills to lead us forward? into the future and have we got a workforce that represents the communities that we serve so i think there's quite a lot of work still to be done in all of these areas in in terms of the people um and and kind of lots of of critical stuff um to be done um you've shared with us as as we've gone through the conversation you've shared some names of people who've inspired you um throughout your career and and i've had no doubt continue to do so But one of the the kind of time honoured ways of bringing this conversation to a close on the podcast is to say to you, what 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 where do you go for your inspiration? Okay. Is there a quote? Is there a book? Is there you know? Is it an individual? Where do you get your inspiration from? Um, so look, I mean, lots of sources. I'm, it's it's the joke in uh, with my leadership team that I'm a voracious leader, and I'm always referring them to things I've. I've, I've picked up and they and they hate it when I use the Henry Kissinger phrase, is this your best work? Right. <laughs> Which I always think is a brilliant way of, of you know, as when you, when you have to type time manage, you know, looking somebody in the eye and say, right, you're about to give this to me. Is this your best work? Yeah, like Or are that. you actually giving me your second or third work? But look, yeah. for me as an individual, I come I go back to the Bible. I come back from, you know, I was, um, I, I, I became a Christian uh, at quite a young age and it's always been, um, it's always been very formative in my life. Doesn't mean I'm a brilliant person. Does not mean that I would never put myself out there as better than anyone. Far from it. And I'm a huge respect of other religions. But it's been it's been a real source for me because it's um, so the things I go back to in the Bible are the fact that that I'm loved, um, uh, and therefore I don't need to be. I don't need to prove myself mm. uh, that I'm expected to be humble. And that I was put on earth to do good things. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of noise about religion, and there's a lot of people who are alienated from it because of all religious practices and religious behaviors and people who've done the wrong things. But at the heart of the Christian faith and many faiths are those fundamental things that I'm loved. Yeah. That actually I'm no better than anyone else, and I've been put here to do good things. And they are the, 
it's a really powerful combination for me because you don't feel the pressure. The fact that you're loved means you don't feel the pressure to overprove. Yeah. But you're incentivized to do the good things and you always recognize that however big you think you are, as I said, in the you yeah. know, in the firmament of the universe or the galaxy, you are, you know, you're a tiny, tiny piece. Doesn't yeah. mean you can't do good things, doesn't mean that you're not valued, but you know, it helps you keep in that context. And so look, that's what I would always go back to as my source, but I, but I, as I said, I, I Every time I, I I I keep notes on my uh, on my iPhone of all the, the bits I read in books. Yeah, I like that, and it's it's phenomenal. What about you? Where do you go to? Um, I read you're a lot. always so positive in your outlook. Where do you get your positive energy from? I uh, well, thank you. I try. I I do try my best, and some days are really easy, and some days require a little bit more energy and focus. Yeah. Um, and I would say I do listen to podcasts, Andrew, and I will. I kind of a bit random with it as well. So I'll yeah. go on to Spotify, and there's there's a number of them that um I now I just click on it. I don't go and choose one. I, I just click on it and say, right. Right, next episode. And I trust completely that the one that I've clicked on will have the message that I need to hear that day. And this never lets me down. It always wow. is there. Wow. Um, I read a lot. Um, yeah. and I so really... podcast roulette. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Podcast roulette, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do read a lot. I'd like to have more time to read and yeah. my concentration levels are all, all not always as great as I would like them to be. So um, so readings are kind of a bit hit and miss these days because my head's a bit full. Yeah. Um, but the other side to that, I guess, is when I need to, to kind of just take a breath. Yeah. Um, being outside, I'm really lucky where I live. We're surrounded by fields. And, I remember you telling me it's cool. Yeah, yes. Go out with the dogs and you know, just let them off the lead, see them having a good time. The joy yeah. of being out and about in the fresh oh, air amongst yeah. nature, listening to the birds at the minute. We've got the lambs bleating as well. It's ah. it, it's just switch off, it's simple things. Very yeah. much, yeah, very much simple things. Um, and learning every day is a school day, and I oh, like yeah. learning. I'm like I'm like a sponge. So, well, um, I, 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 like instantly, you should say that because I do think that the, an inquiring mind is one of the things that actually keeps people more open. Yeah, keeps people actually more engaged. You know, yeah, and actually, I think actually is in a strange way actually gives people a bit more confidence as well. Yeah, I think very often a lack of inquiry is comes comes out of well can come out of you know, a lack of self-confidence or a, new, a hesitation, mm. you know. I think the other thing, you know, as you're saying that to me, one of the things around inquiry mind and, and curiosity, inquisitiveness, my daughter is at the University of Leeds at the moment doing yeah. a, a degree in history and sociology. What? And some of the subject areas, the modules that she's yeah. researching to write essays on, um, or when I look at them, I get a, I get a real kind of sense of envy because I didn't go to uni. I left yeah. school after my um, O levels, not even yeah. GCSE. Yeah. Um, but Neve's going, and she's some of the subject matter that she's looking into and discussing and debating is absolutely fascinating. So that's kind what of probably. Well, the essay she's writing at the moment is around um, around the Muslim faith in particular and how that has changed um, in relation to dealing with society at large mm. on, the, on the fear of terrorism. Yeah. So how do people who practice the Muslim faith, who are just yeah. like you and me, going about yeah. their daily lives, but are being treated differently, 
because of the way that they might present themselves in terms of how they dress or where no, they go to and um, where they go to say their prayers and yes. the lack of understanding is quite phenomenal so yeah. so neve's quite challenging in that way because because we and we have some really great rich conversations yeah. um but the other side to this i'm reading a book at the moment by a lady called laura bates and it's called fix the system not the women the statistics in this book, Andrew, absolutely just shocked me. And I and I I know about this stuff. I read about this yeah. stuff, and I am a female, so yeah. some of it I could relate to. But other stuff and the statistics surrounding it are horrific. Um, so that's the other side to reading is that I read things that are really uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think we have to get more comfortable being uncomfortable in order absolutely. to make the change happen. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I could talk to you for hours, but you've got no, a no. very senior Labour politician going to be knocking yeah, on your yeah. proverbial okay. door in about, in, in about five in about minutes. seven minutes' time. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I should, I need to get my head into the space for that one. Absolutely. Yeah. So it'd be, it'd quite, be lovely to talk anyway. Quite a different conversation to the one we've just had, I would imagine. But um, I wish yeah. you a very good rest of the day. I can't thank you enough for taking the time no, no, out of what I know is a chock block schedule. Yeah. I really enjoyed the conversation. No, likewise. Thank you so much. And thank um, you, Nina. And thanks for doing this and making it available to people because I know how much, you know, it gives people a source of hope and gives people an inquiry. helps with that whole issue of being inquisitive and inquiring. So absolutely. Good on you. Thank Cheers. you so much. Enjoy your Take day. Bye-bye. Bye. Huge, huge thanks to Andrew for that really insightful conversation and for being willing to give up his time to come and join me on the Intuitive Insights podcast.